0: Burrow fires downfield to Jabari Chase. He's got it. He wow. takes it all the
1: way. DJ Moore has a path to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor, touchdown. Pass it. Oh! Digs! Touchdown. Controversial selections in the early rounds of fantasy football drafts for 2023 that's what we're going to talk about today we did start this last week we talked through rounds one and rounds two when there was a limited amount of data available with the early off-season drafts starting more information now being pulled in to the road tools from the ffpc adp and those early drafts a number of drafts now passing the 10th round giving us a little bit of a better feel sean for what the adp will start to shake out like as we move forward here i always enjoy seeing how the adp sets how it starts to move a little bit but a lot of the time when the early sets it will kind of stay like that without news unless news breaks obviously for the changes to happen so it's always intriguing to see where some of the edges may be when we talked last week about this we went through the opening two rounds but as I mentioned a little bit less data in there there's more drafts that have happened so there is some changes in that time frame the first round the players that are in there remain the same the order slightly changed from player to player but the first 12 players remaining the same some slight changes in the second round some of the players we were a little bit surprised by last week Sean that hadn't made it into the second round we thought they would probably be landing early in that third round but with the additional drafts are now second round picks and that is Derek Henry, Brees Hall and Josh Jacobs running backs who all had really significant portions of the season be successful from last year obviously Brees Hall did get injured and missed the the back half of the season, but showed some uh, real electricity when he was on there based on what we thought with his rookie profile as well. So running back six, third pick off the second round is Derek Henry. We have running back seven is Brees Hall. Running back eight is Josh Jacobs. They are all going within four picks of each other. They are the main changes to the second round. They have obviously moved up and I think uh, it feels like that is the right spot for them. I think Brees Hall has a chance if the news is positive to, Send towards round one i think the other guys probably stay in the range they are at at the moment what are your thoughts with the, the three running backs making a step in there this week yeah i think this is the right range for
2: them Brees hall as you mentioned is going to be very dependent on the news as we progress throughout the offseason right now things seem fairly optimistic we're obviously a big believer, but Javante Williams right now at the 501 as running back 19. That gives a little bit of sense of the range that Hall could experience. Williams not expected to be ready for the beginning of next season, and there's that fear that he could go the J.K. Dobbins route where maybe he plays, but you have the risk of the setback. Dobbins obviously has most of his season wiped out in 2022, even though in the handful of plays that he got, he looked like an absolute star. So that's kind of the concern with Hall. He could really bounce around. Anytime that he's lower, we'll probably take some shots at him. The tricky part is that he's going to be lower at the points where it's going to feel like there's more risk. But as you go through the offseason, maybe lower your cost basis by actually taking a little bit of that risk. Evaluate each individual report, obviously, as they come out. But right now, we're looking at very balanced drafts. And I think that that is going to be a lot of fun for 2023. Through two rounds, 10 running backs, 10 wide receivers, through four rounds, 18 running backs, 18 wide receivers. This is going to be perfect for a wide variety of draft plans. If you like to kind of take every draft as it comes and really focus on players and player values, you can do that. If you have an anchor running back or a zero running back approach will be very effective for that type of strategy. If you like to go running back heavy, you can definitely do it. You're going to have some options there through the first four rounds. We discussed last week at how the two, two, two format, so two running backs, two wide receivers, and two flex gives you the opportunity to really push to one side or the other. You can play four running backs, you can play four wide receivers. That part of it is gonna make 2023 so much fun. If you want to do some different things in drafts, you can. If you want to start to plant your flag and say, this is the approach for 2023, or this is my approach, this is how you win, you can do that. And then one of the great things about fantasy football is we'll see who's right. The 2023 results and the money that changes hands will give us a definitive answer, at least for that season, right? One of the things that we discuss in fantasy football and one of the challenges that does arise, but also the thing that does make it just infinitely interesting, I think, is that the lessons from the previous season don't always apply. They can be overlearned. We found out what happened in 2022, and there's going to be a lot to go over from that as we progress through the season. But just because it worked in 2022 doesn't mean it'll work in 2023. The results for 2023 don't give us a sense of maybe what's going to work in 2024. But I think this is perfect in terms of early ADP the ranges the players are going in the mix of positions early and Colin we're going to have a lot to say about tight end and quarterback as well it sets up so nicely for early drafts to be so much fun and that's why we're doing this right i mean obviously we want to win we'd love to hit big and make some money but this is for fun and these adps right now are perfect for enjoying the draft process
1: Yeah there's a lot of fun in here and a couple of things that you mentioned there particularly on the Brees Hall side of things I think part of the reason there's such an advantage of being on the ADP journey from the very very beginning through to draft season is when it gets to a stage when you're in August into September you're so comfortable where all these players are going where they have been what the process has been throughout the season and I think anyone that's listening to these shows Sean as we record them you know late January early February into March they're going to have an edge when it comes to their drafts when it's into crunch time in in august september and like we've seen throughout the the playoffs the different contests that are available on different websites like the ffpc or underdog they're filling up all the time those drafts are happening right now and that there's another thing that makes it just so much fun as you can get in test your skills against those different players the other part you mentioned is the balance last week when we talked about those opening two rounds sean it was 13 wide receivers to seven running backs and i was thinking Maybe there is going to be an overreaction here to the success that some of the zero RB teams that we talked about and some of the big contests this year had. But thankfully, we've through those opening 10 rounds, it's getting pretty balanced along the way. So that is also positive for us. That's going to hopefully give us a little bit of an edge as we work through our process this offseason as well. Moving into round three, Sean T. Higgins was somebody we touched on last week. He was at the back end of round two. He is the first pick now, wide receiver 11. And the third round, Travis Etienne, running back 11, second pick, The player I want to talk about first, though, is the third pick of the second round. It is Garrett Wilson. Obviously, a lot of questions around, you know, who his quarterback will be entering this year. The early ADP suggests, you know, faith in his talent, faith in his ability, and also probably faith that the Jets are going to do something that's going to be an upgrade on Zach Wilson as the quarterback. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops if somebody like, you know, certain reports with potential of maybe an Aaron Rodgers going there. What would they do in the draft? I think it makes it very interesting. But Wilson is somebody that we banged the table quite hard for last year in terms of trying to get him on our rosters as a rookie, entering his second year. Hopefully we'll see a potential second-year leap from him. He is one of those talents. If if we get a solid quarterback play and that second-year leap happens, the, the ceiling here is extremely high for Garrett Wilson. I think the 303 is – a very fair spot and him ascending into that mid-second round I, I think is something that we may see throughout the offseason.
2: It's going to be a challenge. You look at these early ADPs and the players that we hit on most obviously would be guys like Brees Hall even though his season is wiped out. I mean you can't control that portion of it. Someone like a TJ Hawkinson who's going at 211, a player in Jalen Waddell who's going ten. Garrett Wilson at the 303, Devonte Smith at the 308. Those are probably our biggest hits from last season. Garrett Wilson, someone I absolutely love. I have him more or less in a dead heat with C.D. Lamb to be the overall wide receiver three in Dynasty. It's hard to get much higher than that when I mention that to people as we're through some trades. They that's I, basically the,
1: the wide receiver one after Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. You're talking about that guy, the next player after the two unreal superstars. And and I tend to get some strong reactions, even some expletives back when I explain my (laughs) ranking of Wilson. And yet, I mean, at wide receiver 12, there's still some upside, but there's also a lot of risk here. It's hard to ignore the fact that just went out and hired Nathaniel Hackett, the worst head coach of all time. To be their offensive coordinator, fired a young coach who probably will go to the Rams and immediately rehabilitate his image and go somewhere else and probably be a head coach and be successful. Hack at one of these guys who, like so many other people, seems to be living off of Aaron Rodgers. And the idea is that you get this guy and you can recruit Aaron Rodgers in a trade or what have you. I don't know. I mean, Colin, like the worst person that you've worked with in your career if there's a company wanting to hire you and they hire that person and that person calls you up, it's like, come work here. It's great. Are you thinking to yourself? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's the obvious path. This person who (laughs) maybe I like them, but they weren't particularly talented. I don't know. That's probably not the relationship there, but Hackett has not been great as an offensive coordinator at other stops. Obviously he was not the person who made any part of the Packers run. And so I mean, that part is scary. I think, because LaFleur did some things that probably didn't make sense, didn't make sense within the context of the team that they had. But you think about the play calling and what it did for Brees Hall, even with the terrible quarterback play in that first chunk of the season, for them to be moving on and moving on to someone who, frankly, just doesn't have the talent and skill set to be an NFL coach at all. It does dampen my enthusiasm for the Jets. It's about players. They have a good head coach. It appears that they have a relatively strong organization. If you get Aaron Rodgers, it's not going to be a problem. I mean, you and I obviously have (laughs) the long-running joke about Rodgers and what his strengths and weaknesses are. The strengths are that he's one of the best players in NFL history and has led his team to a Super Bowl title, has led his team to number one seeds. The weaknesses... Sean's afraid that he's going to be
1: shouting at Garrett Wilson on the sideline. That's what Sean's afraid of. (laughs) I don't think so.
2: I mean, you know that the first time that he misses it too, Garrett Wilson's going to throw up his arms just like he did for Zach Wilson all the time and be like, old man, what's your problem? (laughs) I'm wide open here. Like, don't give me the Romeo Dobbs treatment. I'm not standing for that. So yeah, the soap opera element there could be kind of fun. We're mostly joking there. (laughs) If he has Aaron Rodgers... He's going to put up like 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns, and you're going to want him in the first round of drafts. If he has almost anyone else of the potential available quarterbacks, then the 303 is maybe a little bit enthusiastic. Now, we just saw what he can do with someone who's one of the worst busts at QB ever. You're still able to generate area yards. You're still able to generate targets. You do make some big plays. I'm on the fence here because – This is one of those situations that can go so far in either direction. Garrett Wilson, to my mind, is better than DJ Moore. And yet, I mean, there's a limit to what you can do when your quarterback is the level of the quarterbacks that DJ Moore has had to deal with. DJ Moore is down there at wide receiver 22 because fantasy managers don't believe that he's going to be in any better situation next year than he has been for all of this recent history. So there are some risks. There are some upsides. We love Garrett Wilson. We hope the Jets are fun in 2023. It just would be such a catastrophe from an entertainment perspective. You have Brees Hall and you have Garrett Wilson, and this offense is a trade wreck.
1: Yeah, one of the offenses, well, obviously we were in on the Jets last year as well, but we did a lot of talk last year about the uh, Detroit Lions and you know how they would work with Jared Goff and how the pieces had been built around it and the, the quarterback was kind of the final piece but with Jared Goff there there was a chance that he would be able to support all those it feels like the way the Jets have drafted over the last couple of years pr- pretty strong in terms of on the skill position side of things like a Garrett Wilson entering in the second year we already talked about Brees Hall entering in the second year I, I do think if we get a, a quarterback that can you know at least not Drag the offense down. I think that they could be kind of the the exciting jump through this year that has that really leap forward as an offense. Moving forward though, Sean Joe Mixon running back twelve between on each side of him we have Patrick Mahomes we have Jalen Hurts the other quarterback that was off the board in the late second round was Josh Allen so three quarterbacks in those opening two rounds then DeAndre Swift you mentioned Devontae Smith George Kittle who has had a a little bit of a, a renaissance to the end of the season potentially wasn't healthy at the start of the season tight end four Debo Samuel his teammate wide receiver 14 Najee Harris who we talked about last year or last week thinking he was vastly overvalued as the RB5 last week obviously a little bit more data in there RB14 second last pick off the third round the player Sean though probably to talk about in this range when we are talking about running backs is Ramondre Stevenson he is running back 15 and that feels. is Really fair. I think he could be higher at the running back position, but when we look at the names in front of him, I would take him over Najee Harris, certainly. But DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon, Travis Etienne, I, I think that they're all in kind of a, a tier there together. Um, I'd probably put Nick Chubb potentially in that tier as well. He was the last pick of the second round. So Stevenson at, at running back 15, last pick of the third round. H- his season last year, I think, deserves that. And I think we can still see his role progress and his opportunities and that offense again we talked about how the jets had some struggles for everything that the patriots were able to do and how they you know were able to almost make it into the, the playoffs there at the end i do think there was a number of issues from play calling to i think you're a little bit more forgiven on mac jones than i am but i think there is a, a much there's a certain limitation that, that that offense presents with him at quarterback
2: so you're already down on mac jones that was going to be not, not already down but just justifiably not i was
1: never up i think is the thing i've always been kind of at this <laughs> level so he's fine but he's he's fine he just brings i remember last year sean we drafted and you, i think the line was you don't get up at two o'clock in the morning which was the time we were drafting to draft jimmy Garoppolo, and i feel similar to Mac jones so Mac jones again uh, someone i'm going to pitch for our dynasty
2: team so we'll see if i can get column on board with that You look at some of the players being drafted in this range nick chubb averaged 13.3 expected points per game this season nick chubb going to be one of those guys who averages about five yards per carry he's up there among the all-time greats in that stat which is a stat when you get to that portion of it that is about running back skill His fantasy points over expectation per game at 3.3. That's the same general range as someone like Austin Eckler, who again ran hot with touchdowns. And I say ran hot, but the skill level there, the talent, what he's able to do in breaking those plays. These are the types of guys that you expect to see at the top of that fantasy points over expectation leaderboard. The point though, is that you can't draft a player who has that workload at the end of the second round. By contrast, Ramondre Stevenson, even in a timeshare, even with some health concerns, averages 14.8. His receiving EP per game, 7.6. So a little bit more than half of his value coming as a receiver. They have some other players who could be in the mix next season. They could have another early down running back that steals a little bit of the volume. But Stevenson as a receiving back and as a plus talent in an offense that almost certainly will continue to be solid for running back scoring and could be a breakout offense next season, it's going to be tricky for me to draft him there. And yet when you contrast Stevenson to some of the other players in the same range, he definitely looks undervalued. He should probably be going ahead of Najee Harris. I mean, guys who you would expect them to evolve into workloads that are somewhat similar. Now, maybe Harris ends up having the edge, although the big concern with Harris is not just that he's not very talented and that he's inefficient and that he's going to underperform the workload or, or maybe not give you that season where he overperforms. So we talk all the time about in these early rounds, one, two, three, four that you want to take someone that in their good season, and you're not saying you can necessarily predict where it's going to be, but you're going to be taking guys over the next you know one, two, three, four years. It's not like you only get to draft once. You want your portfolio to include players that are going to have a season that hits, and you're going to have some shares of them when it does hit. And so you want to have a guy who could be in that 19 EP range with a four FOE, POE range. Once you get into the third round, that would be very enthusiastic. But even then, if you're thinking more like it's going to be 14 expected points, but if there are injuries or a breakout, it could jump to 18 EP. Regardless of what you're thinking about there, you want it to be someone where they could outperform that by two, three, four points per game, because that's where you get the big scores. It's also where you get some of the huge weekly scores that would allow you to win your league. So if Harrison Stevenson evolve in the direction of having similar workloads, you definitely want the guy who's more talented. I don't think there's any question right now who that player is. And then you look at it, compared to some of these guys who are going earlier, I mentioned Nick Chubb, who's running back 10. Travis Etienne, he has to take a big step forward in his receiving usage. You sort of expect that because he was such a dynamic receiver at the collegiate level with the quarterback he has now. Unfortunately, it's a very different head coach. and. Doug Peterson does a lot of things well, but he has hurt his running backs in the receiving game. Kind of an odd thing to be true since he's an Andy Reid disciple. But ETN has some concerns at that price. Joe Mixon just wildly overdrafted. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of frustration about what just happened this past weekend where Ben and I lost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars when they took him out at the goal line and P. Ryan scored instead. But everything that we have seen, down the stretch suggests that the Bengals have come around to really everybody else's point of view and the evidence-based point of view, which is that Joe Mixon is just a guy. You can play just a guy in the Bengals offense and he will score some fantasy points, but the risk of him just not even being the starter is significant. He should be going more in that range that we got Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders last year. And some listeners are going to say, well, I mean, if he's those guys, then you should draft him where those players scored last year, not where they went last year. But the problem is that Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders were actually, from an evidence-based perspective and an objective perspective, that's where they should have gone. The fact that they hit 99th percentile outcomes doesn't mean that their actual draft costs weren't appropriate based on the information that we had at that time. Joe Mixon could be drafted at that spot and hit a 10th percentile outcome, and then you're like, Well, this is exactly why no one drafts or no one who knows what they're doing drafts running backs in the dead zone because these guys are landmines. Anyway, I think Joe Mixon is a little bit, by a little bit, he's, he's a tough player to draft in round three. There are a lot of different ways the Bengals could go to get more production next season.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: So it feels like Joe Mixon will have a will not be on the draft board at all. Uh, I'm good with that, Sean. Uh, for our drafts this this season, uh, we move on though to the fourth round. Joe Joe Burrow is the first pick off the fourth round. But what I want to do here, Sean, is pair the tight ends together because tight end five and tight end six go back to back early in that fourth round. This is tight end premium as we discussed this, but the rankings in terms of the overall tight ends will likely follow suit, even in non tight end premium just not as early in the draft. But we get Kyle Pitts, we get Dallas Goddard. I mentioned a moment ago, George Kittle was tight end four in that late set, third round. So in the space of those kind of six, seven picks, we get three tight ends off the board. I want to pair them together. Obviously, we were drafting Kyle Pitts, Sean, in the first and second round last year. Um, George Kittle was somebody we didn't draft very much of. Dallas Goddard was somebody who I did target quite a bit, along with my other favorite tight end from the last season, being TJ Hawkinson. So Goddard, Pitts, Kettle, I think, are all interesting. I have much more stronger preference for Pitts and Goddard. Obviously, we talked long and hard and difficult, I guess Sean will say, during the season last year with the situation in Atlanta. But we did see down the stretch a little bit more flashes from Drake London, who goes a little bit later in the ADP. But I still have high hopes for Kyle Pitts, obviously, has to recover from his injury. But still high hopes for that potential to come true to its fullest. And Dallas Goddard, I think obviously missed a portion of the season but has looked really really good as a, a tight end in that Philadelphia Eagles offense which we expect to be high powered for the foreseeable future so what are your thoughts on on those three tight ends do you think the order of them as Kittle, Pitts and Goddard is fair how would you be shaking that up and who are you thinking about targeting this season at these prices and the last thing I'll say is meant to say this when you were talking about Stevenson I think out of all the players through those opening. I would say three rounds it might get then to Pitts and Goddard being players that I think are my favorite prices at the moment. But Ramondre Stevenson seems like a a player who should be going at least eight eight to ten picks earlier than he is. But back to the tight ends, what's your thoughts on those three guys?
2: I like all three as players. You think about Pitts, I mentioned about five guys that we really hit on last year. There's no question who our huge miss was. And that was pits. You look at the numbers now, and <laughs> it's just almost impossible to believe that he did finish number one at the tight end position in targets per route run. You can pull that up in the Advanced Stat Explorer at RotoViz. That tool, like so many of the great tools, is fed by the fantastic information that sports info solutions. Tracks, charts, generates in a variety of different ways. He was also extremely inefficient in addition to not having the overall team volume. It's easy to look at the team volume and say, oh, it's not our fault that we missed. The Falcons did something that was ridiculous. They did, but that's in the range of outcomes. And you have to figure that into how you want to build these teams. You can't just push the responsibility off on Arthur Smith and say that if he weren't such a terrible head coach, I would have been right. Because we knew going in that Arthur Smith was maybe not the guy you can count on. One of the things that we talked about at length is that you want to have some exposure to great talents who are in offenses that present some hurdles or some risks. AJ Brown paid off in a big way. Devonte Smith paid off in a big way. Jalen Waddell as the number two behind Tyreek Hill in. A situation where he also has an unproven quarterback paid off in a big way you're not always going to hit and the contrast between travis kelsey and kyle pitts is so extreme that it really emphasizes that even more as we look forward the fact that pitts was also extremely inefficient is something that you have to at least consider on him a little bit now marcus mariota didn't help him but pitts did not play well that doesn't eliminate who he is in terms of what he did in 2020 in college what he did in 2021 as a rookie where he was historically productive but it is something that you have to think about a little bit cuz now we have two things that we have to get over you have whatever his issues are you have the fact that he may simply just not be as good as Drake London even though he had such a fantastic rookie year partly because there wasn't a lot of target competition i mean that part factors in as well but if he is the number 2 behind Drake London and the quarterback is still terrible The coach, evidently still going to be Arthur Smith. So you have quite a few risks. I'm okay missing on elite tight ends if there are other players that you simply like better. Elite tight end has been a big foundation piece for us. Travis Kelsey, a huge weapon this past year. And teams that went Kelsey Mahomes did extremely well. So this is yet another season where the results themselves tell you that that star tight end can be the difference between having tournament winning upside and just having a good team. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm off of these guys as a group or off of taking that shot and wanting to have almost an extra starting position on your roster, but the price for George Kittle with all of the uncertainty in terms of him specifically, some of the injuries he's had, the fact that he is maybe not the same guy and the stats pretty strongly suggest he's not the same guy that he was two three years ago with dallas goddard in that offense <laughs> you think about what's happened in the two playoff games 2023 could present a scenario where the eagles are so good that they blow everybody out and they just have almost no passing volume in the second half of games Cowpits, the risks are obvious i'm gonna be sprinkling some of these guys in i think that you have to have some goddard I think pits could fall from this spot and you have to have some pits, but I don't think that any of these players are a must draft.
1: Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting again, when we start to get to the point of discussing how you would set up your draft board, which players you're trying to get, and then how those teams would fit together. I think it will become very interesting looking through these rounds and some of the players then going in the fourth round who would be in competition for that selection, DeAndre Hopkins obviously was a lot lower than this last year based on the suspension, but his back hopefully will be healthy. But he is a year older, and I was a little bit surprised to see him as high as the wide receiver 15, that is, in the fourth pick off the fourth round. Then DK Metcalf, Chris Olave, then we get Tony Pollard, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, and a kind of a a running back area where there's some question marks is where this comes up we're not going to get into the fifth round today but you mentioned Javante Williams he is the first pick of the fifth round so some question marks around the the running backs in this range obviously Pollard with the injury and the contract situation Dalvin Cook dropping down probably one of the most significant drops along with Kyle Pitts from 2022 ADP going from the first round down to the late fourth for him then we get Aaron Jones Lamar Jackson we'll see what happens with his contract situation then we get Chris Godwin then we get Justin Herbert so that is six quarterbacks off the board through those opening four rounds 18 wide receivers 18 running backs and the six tight ends Sean looking through those players that I mentioned any of them that stand out as a a surprise to you any of them that stand out as at that price being prime targets at this moment in time
2: we're gonna have to see what some of these teams do at running back the injury to Pollard and the uncertainty that kind of creates in terms of where he will be. And there was uncertainty already, but it heightens that I think knocks him down from where he would have been a mid third round selection. Dalvin cook could have more legitimate competition for the starting role next year. And that's within this environment where the Vikings offense did go to a scheme that favored Justin Jefferson which you would hope and expect their scheme would do. They really emphasize TJ Hawkinson down the stretch. Dalvin Cook did have some breakout runs, but outside of the real highlight plays, he didn't look like the same guy on a down-to-down basis at his age. That's going to be a huge red flag for him. Aaron Jones in the Packers, you see him here in round four this year. A.J. Dillon in round eight Early part of that is knowing that they're going to have some wide receiver production now. Part of it is just selling this entire offense as managers believe that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be there. Christian Watson at wide receiver 25 at the end of the fifth round is interesting. When you compare that to say DeAndre Hopkins, whom you just mentioned, Chris Olave, Chris Godwin, he was so explosive down the stretch that the only way you possibly get him there. The only way you possibly get him there is if fantasy managers believe the offense will be bad. You want to hedge your bets a little bit. You want to be aware of the risks and not simply go out and overdraft these guys where there is uncertainty. But Jordan Love looked very good in last year's preseason. It was the Love to Dobbs connection that really got people excited about Romeo. Both of these guys, I think, will be fine. Maybe the, the ceiling Isn't there? But I think you could argue that the floor might be even better. You've got a young QB who's excited to work with the young wide receivers, who wants to prove that he can be an NFL starter, as opposed to an old curmudgeon who, you know, wants to prove that he is the only thing that matters and that the young guys are weighing him down. It's a very different mix. It's a very different dynamic there. I guess I have some enthusiasm for the receivers. I do think that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were wildly overdrafted last year. That was our perspective on it. It did turn out to be the case. You know, There's going to be some luck involved, too. People who were higher on them are going to say that it could have worked out a little bit differently, and it could have. With Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, you're talking about two of the best talents at running back. You have a good head coach, offensive coordinator there. They could unlock those guys as they go forward it's not really a matter even of unlocking them but just keeping them at a production level that justifies some of these prices if you have an injury to jones or an injury to dylan where the other player stays very healthy these prices unlike last year are prices where you could see the guy go out and be a league winner so i i think there is some enthusiasm or you should have some enthusiasm for the two players at those prices
1: yeah, and just for context, eighth round running back thirty is AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones running back eighteen at the four oh nine at this point. So I think it's gonna be pretty interesting to see how that shakes out because we talked last year about the value like you hinted at there being so high, so expensive, and, and now maybe it's a little bit more palatable. So lots of questions to be answered there as well with the Green Bay offense. Sean, before we wrap up today's show, I want to mention again the road of his rookie guide pre-sale is now up you can pre-order all three volumes for twenty dollars there will be a link in today's show notes for how to go and purchase that to get those once they're available they will be coming out in early february we are just entering early february as you probably listen to this it will be not this week but coming up in the very near future the first volume of the rookie guide you get the second volume then march 12th post combine and then you get the april 30th post nfl draft to keep you up to date with everything you need to know for your dynasty rosters and also for leagues like this baseball leagues redraft leagues get all the information and help build up your knowledge base to have the most successful team for 2023 sean mentioned it earlier as well we are going to be starting our dynasty series later this week it will be our third show of the week we're going to probably have one show every week dedicated to that but we'll see how it goes as we move forward I'm looking forward to some more name suggestions. We'll save them for that show when we kick things off. But make sure you are subscribed to the Road of His Overtime podcast feed to get all those episodes once they're available throughout the off season. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over to Martin. My co-host is Sean Siegel. Check out Sean's work up on And Until we are back, have a good one.